Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. When we talk about the 17-7 win over Iowa State on Thursday night and as we look ahead to K-State, let's shelve the offensive conversation for a bit because we're going to need all the time we yeah, and energy. can muster and energy. Because it makes muster. me frustrated talking about yes. that often. You, you end up yelling a lot more than you want to. So let's put that off to the side in its own little pile. My, you know, my wife's a big fan of being around the house. She makes piles of stuff everywhere. Oh. My wife doesn't dirty. My wife doesn't just completely make a disaster out of one room. It's more like there's little piles of stuff in everything. There you go, a little project. So we'll put the offense in a little pile, and we'll move it off to the side. Oh, it's a big to, pile of something right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, Rod, let's start with this defense. Steaming. I want to go back to something that was talked about in the spring, something that was talked about during camp. Deshaun Elliott talked about it. Craig Niver talked about it. The Texas defensive backs have not been able to say the words DBU in the presence of the staff mm-hmm. or in the meeting rooms. They have to earn it. Yeah. Rod, after – and we talked about corner being an issue that was going to face this defense against Iowa State with yeah. the two big receivers. They were going to be in 50-50 ball situations. Yep. And – Texas never really gave up the big play down the field. So considering Holton Hill, Rod continues to play at an All-American level. No question. Considering Deshaun Elliott now, your two-time reigning Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week, have they earned the right to use those three letters again? Or do you need to see more before you go that far? Well, I actually said on the Rodcast uh, recently. And By the I, way, every day on the on 104.9 The Horn from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. And I uh, got a chance to join my man Kevin Dunn on the uh, the post game after the Iowa State game. And it was late. It was probably like 12, 31 in the morning. So I was a little bit, you know, delusional. Um, <laughs> but I said, so I, yeah, I, I and I, I stated, and I still stand behind it, I think they've already started to earn the name DBU okay. again. No question. I mean, Holden Hill right now, like I said, playing, you, you agree, playing an All-American level. Right. I think Deshaun Elliott now is easily at an all-conference level, proven by his two weeks in a row of being Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And you're looking at guys like Chris Boyd, and I know it's hard to notice. Chris Boyd has upped his play. Chris Boyd is playing at a much better level. His baseline has improved. I, you know, and I got, I feel bad for Chris Boyd because I've been Chris Boyd. And what I mean by that is I've been the other corner, opposite the guy playing at an all American level, who other teams look at the film and they go, well, we're not attacking that guy. Mm -hmm. We're going to attack the other corner. You know what I mean? We're not going after Quentin Jammer in 2000, 2001. That guy was drafted number five overall. They're going after that other guy. I don't even know your name. They just, you know, they call you by number two one. We're going after right, that default. guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're not going after Quentin Jammer. So I, I was that guy for two years, essentially, on the 40 acres. And you, it, it, it's, it's going to challenge you. It challenges your testicular fortitude. Yep, they're coming after you. And until you make them pay for it. All right, they're gonna keep coming after you week after week because they they're not gonna test Houghton Hill a ton. That just right. ain't smart. That guy is taking stuff to the house. It just ain't a smart thing to do at the level he's playing. So I think with Chris Boyd, he's getting better. I'm noticing him playing more and more consistent, even versus Iowa State. I understand at times 
you know, he still struggles, and he, a guy can get behind him, bad technique and bad habits. But I've noticed his baseline improving, too. I don't want to ignore that because I've been Chris Boyd. And, you know, at one point, you want to become uh, kind of what Quentin Jammer and I were in 2001. We had the nation's number one total defense where, man, I don't know where the hell we're throwing the football because throwing at either one of those guys is one of those situations where we're going to have – uh, more failure than success. They're going to win uh, more of those battles and they're going to lose if we throw on them. And I think Texas is trying to get to that point because right now you don't want to throw in Deshaun Elliott's area. Right. And you don't want to throw at Houghton Hill. If Chris Boyd can be more consistent, where are you going with the football when you decide to throw it? it? Let me ask you this. Is Chris Boyd, given that in man pure man coverage situations, he can hold his own. He's physical yeah, no enough. Question. He's athletic enough. Yeah. Is Chris Boyd just in that that shocky Brown, Cedric Griffin, Michael yeah, Thompson it. area where this guy's athletic ability and the physical tools are off the charts? It's just it's bad eyes or it's bad focus or it's something that's keeping him from playing at that level consistently. Uh, I totally agree, and that's, and that's why the main word consistently. Yeah, exactly, that's why he's still starting. Remember those guys too. Those guys we we would complain about Shocky Brown over and over again. <laughs> And his bad eyes and eyes getting caught up in the backfield. And even Mikael Thompson, right? right? Bad technique. Yet those guys would be out there. I remember Coach Aquino. We talked about in the show telling me to my face, Mikael Thompson has Thorpe Award. No, type. no, no. How did Coach Aquino tell ah, you about Mikael he's Thompson? A, he's like, I'm telling you, Davis, this kid's got Thorpe Award potential written all around that if he plays at his, his highest capability. But he never played that way. You know right. what I mean? But NFL coaches love those raw tools, those raw materials. Still drafted high. You know, Cedric Griffin had some technique issues when I think he came off the four acres. Still drafted high because you cannot coach the length, the range, and the speed combination of those guys. Shockey Brown, same way. You know, the Ravens, you know, one of the best front offices in the NFL, decided, uh, screw the bad technique and the bad habits. That guy's an NFL body. Right. Same thing with Chris Boyd, man. Hey, guy's got an NFL body, NFL. He's got an NFL, a Sunday skill set, as they would say. But, man, he has really bad habits. He has really bad eyes. He has kind of what I call lazy technique at times instead of, you know, the burst and the quick uh, hip motion. It's a little lazy hip turn. It's like, man, get that hip, get, get, you know, get those hips flipped. So it's one of those things where I think he's getting better and better. You get to, and P.J. Locke is playing better, too. P.J. Locke, I think, started maybe he had too much sugar in the back. I think he started struggling to start the season. Um, he's playing much better. So everybody in the, on that defense, it's a defensive backfield, are playing much better than they were uh, at the beginning of the season. But nobody right now is playing the Houghton Hill, the, you know, Deshaun Elliott level, the Kraken, as he's been called. This goes back to Tom Herman's point in his Monday press conference today, and you can see it, Rod. Any, you can attest this having played in a secondary where you had Sean Rogers, Casey Hampton, D.D. Lewis, Corey Redding, a lot yeah. of NFL guys playing in front of you. If you can get pressure on the quarterback, your job in the secondary becomes much easier. Not taking anything away from that defensive backfield, yeah. but for the third game in a row now, we've seen blitzes executed cleaner. We see movement on the defensive line that looks like what movement in a Todd Orlando defensive line is supposed to look like. We're seeing active play by the linebackers. We're seeing guys fit the run. Better than I've seen a Texas defense fit the run, maybe since Will Muschamp was around here hmm. calling defenses. So the fact that your front is playing so well and you're able, once again, I know I bring this up a lot, but it goes it bears repeating in this conference. If you can make these offenses one-dimensional, I don't care if you're a spread team, if you're a slot T offense, if you become a one-dimensional offense, yeah. 
you are infinitely easier to defend. And that's what we've seen Texas do the last three weeks. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. It, and you, you brought up the, you know, the Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton who were on my D-line in 2000. We were still one of the better pass efficiency defenses in the country. Uh, and, and we had a liability, which was me in the secondary as a young uh, starting corner and a sophomore. But we didn't have to cover for more than three seconds. And that's what you get when you have a defensive line that long. You can end up – you know, as a player, and that's what Nathan Vasher, I think he took advantage of it, full advantage of it. You got a guy that has great ball skills. You know certain blitzes, the ball's coming out early based on the formation, first on the set, personnel yeah. package. Like, oh, they're not going to – we're going to be plus two on this blitz. They're not going to be able to block this guy. If you understand passing concepts and you know, all right, he's going to throw in the face of the blitz or how that offense likes to um, adjust to the blitz – then that's how that's when you start making plays. That's when yep. you get jumps on footballs. So the, I think what we're realizing about this defense is, man, the, the the reps they are acclimating to the the defense. They're playing better the more and more reps they get. Todd Orlando's learning the personnel better. I think they are now getting more comfortable within the scheme, and you're seeing these guys play much faster and much more aggressive than they yeah. played earlier. And you were just talking about you know Boyd being a guy that at time to time we're talking about the biggest deficiency across the secondary is just one player not being consistent. So if you start to think about that and add on like Jeff was just saying that in this Big 12 not only take away something but now you're preventing the explosive play. The one thing that one missed assignment, one blown coverage or what was missed tackling issue in previous years. These things that lended Texas to be so prone to giving up those explosive plays. Now yeah. you're in the Big 12 Conference, you're shoring up one of them. If you can shore up the other and just have consistency where each day, in, out, in, out, you don't have to worry about just one play giving the other team seven points. It's immense in this conference because making them earn it over time to time, it's proven it's going to be a lot harder for them to do because Texas just holding the front. And like you said with uh, with, with uh, my head going, going totally blank with Boyd, but when you talk about him, it almost is like a pass rush. If it can only make his skill set be better, a guy that that's good and man likes to be physical. Now, if he knows that the pass rush can get there in four and get there in three or four seconds, yeah. then you end up having a guy that he only has to. I mean, if you're going to just be disrupting the rhythm of a guy playing some type of physical coverage, if he knows that he really only has three or four seconds, it doesn't have to worry about them having extra time to find yeah. a guy. It'd be huge in the Big 12 conference. Rod, I want to go through, you know, where this defense is and, and, this sounds like I'm throwing something out there like I like I'm oh I'm giving you some big football insight. Any defense, if you can win on first and second down, you're gonna be in great shape. No doubt. But for Todd Orlando's defense, he's talking about his paramount, man. When you can get in a third and medium, third and long, and really unleash the blitz package, the the possibilities are endless. And to what you guys were just talking about, Rod, you mentioned it with, with Nathan Vasher. That's kind of where Deshaun Elliott is, and that's why not comparing Nathan Vasher directly to Sean Elliott, but that's why this staff coaches ball skills all the time because that's what Todd Orlando's blitzes are all about. It's not yeah. about getting sacks. It's about can we get the pressure to where that quarterback's got to throw it a half step, a half second before he wants to, and boom, we're going to be in the right place. If we're executing these blitzes and rotating our coverages the way we're supposed to, if we're matching patterns and doing everything we're supposed to, we're going to be in a position to create a lot of turnovers. It, and, Rod, I want, I want to run down Iowa State's down in distances. They, they, they were oh yeah on the night, they were it was domination. three of 12 on third down. And I just want to run down. This is a list of their down and distances on these 12 third downs. And keep in mind, they only converted three of them all game. Third and one, third and 15, third and seven, third and nine, third and two, third and two, third and 10, third and nine, third and 10, third and 10, third and 10, third and 10, third and 10. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. 
third and long, which makes life easy for, or at least you're you're playing right into the hands of Todd Orlando. Todd Orlando, what I like about the defense is, and it's something the offense, you know, we'll get to it, they can't seem to figure out. The offense, you know, the defense has an identity. The yeah. offense has this identity crisis, but you know what the defense is. Three game, four games in now, I should say, but the three games since that Maryland game where we can really kind of see what Todd Orlando's vision for this defense is. You know, you know what the model's uh, apparandi is, right? You know it. It's um, he's getting at. First of all, he's going to make you one dimensional by taking away the run, right? Make you one dimensional by taking away the run. He's going to then get after your quarterback once he gets you in third and long in passing situations, and then they want to force turnovers. That's it. That is what the Todd Orlando defensive identity is. All the guys on the defense know it, and they, to me, that kind of sets the culture. That is it, all right? Stop the run, make them one-dimensional, get after the quarterback, force turnovers. The last three games is exactly what you've seen from the defense, and to me, that just shows you that Todd Orlando may be, at this point, I think he's as good as advertised, honestly, but he's still got a big test in the Big 12. We know we got Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, and even K-State will be a big test, and we'll get to that, too, when we talk about right. uh, the purple kryptonite, as I like to call it, but... Man, I, I like that I, as a football guy, I can look at a Todd Orlando defense and know what he's trying to accomplish. Okay. I look at that Texas offense, I don't know what the hell they're trying to accomplish, but I look at Todd Orlando's defense on first, second, third down, I know exactly what he's trying to do and if they can achieve that and if they're being successful. Last three games, they have been. All right, I don't want to uh, go to the offense just yet. Let's still no, stick no, with no. the good for a little bit longer. Yeah. Rod, put your X's and O's hat on. Not that you never take it off on on this show. Not not that you not, not that you ever take it off on this show. I or can't on man, it's stuck on there. Now put on the helmet. So <laughs> I want you to I want you to go through the the following Texas defensive coordinators, and I want you to break down the differences and compare Ooh, wow. what they did well to what Todd Orlando does well. What you like what he does. So take a look Ooh, at think back think back to Will Muschamp. Manny Diaz. Go to Manny Diaz. Okay. Vance Bedford slash Charlie Strong. Okay. And now to Todd Orlando. Um, oh man, that's good. Okay, uh, Will Muschamp. Uh, Will Muschamp's strength as a DC. I, and actually, he and Todd Orlando uh, have a lot of similarities in just their philosophy. He definitely wanted to make you one dimensional. Uh, that was big for Will Muschamp. He make always you, talked about. That. Always talked about it. It's, it's, too, it's too hard to stop stop people these days if they're a balanced offense. I have to take away something. He always wanted to take away your strength, something Todd Orlando's big on, and, and then you play into his hands. He wasn't ex- – I don't know if, if Muschamp was exotic as a Todd Orlando or even a Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz and actually worked to his detriment, a lot of people thought at the times, yeah. you know, that he was really exotic and elaborate with his blitz packages. Recently, uh, if you look at him now, I think maybe he's learned how to teach those concepts a little bit better. Yeah. And, and now you're starting to see – he probably has some similarities uh, uh, schematically with Tartal Lando. I haven't looked at his defense most recently, but he was very exotic, much like Tartal Lando's very exotic and elaborate with his blitz packages, man. He's bringing guys from that front seven. You're going to see the, the safety's going to be coming in the blitz package. The nickel's going to be coming. So that's what I like about it. You never know where that pressure's going to come from with the Tartal Lando blitz. And actually, with Manny Diaz, you really never knew. The problem is, guys will be out of position. Right. Hell, sometimes they didn't know where they were supposed to be right. coming from, where the rush lanes were. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's a similarity uh that i really like um about what manny diaz is doing maybe what Todd Orlando does and i i remember saying to myself i mean, Todd Orlando, I mean manny diaz excuse me knows defense some people thought like he was some you know just young um hot shot who really didn't know x's and o's he's got some video game coordinator manny diaz knew x's and o's 
I always say to this day, the one thing wrong with Man Diaz, he wasn't a great teacher yet. And if you're a coach, remember, you're a teacher. you got to teach the concepts. you got to know how people learn. Dwayne Aquino was really good at that. Think about how young Manny Diaz was, and he didn't take the, the traditional coaching route to learn how to teach those concepts. I think now he's a much better teacher of his philosophy and of his, uh, his defense than he was when he was on the four decades. But I digress. Uh, Vance Bedford. Um, Vance Bedford, this is interesting. Um, with Vance Bedford, I thought Vance Bedford was a great game plan coach. And what I meant by that was that's why he was good versus Baylor. And that sounds they were, you know, good versus uh, maybe Oklahoma. Mm. They, 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 they did a really good job of game planning that defense for certain types of you offense. Like and, State. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I will say this about the Vance Bedford defense, and I know some of this is the Charlie Strong defense because Vance Bedford ended up being demoted. Uh, that that last year, but just like Hell Manny Diaz was too, they they play. I thought they had a really good uh, vision for how to defend the spread. I I really thought they were that they they were on to something at times, especially the way they defended Baylor. Go look at the game plan that Charlie Strong and Vance Bedford had for Baylor, mm-hmm. and at times those Oklahoma teams. I actually thought that their their philosophy, which was essentially they wanted to be able to. Man up on the outside, uh, and they they with their with their personnel with their length and their range you want to be able to man up on the outside and cover guys man to man in and also in the spread era spread conferences be able to stop the the spread running game, uh, which is a tough thing to do, man. That's a hell of a conundrum because they spread you out and they attack you in so many ways. I thought at times they did a good job. Like um, Twenty fourteen against Baylor. Was yeah, that game. They, I mean there were some of those games. I was actually amazed at the. Uh, the 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 competent defensive game plans that Vance Bedford and Charlie Strong would come up with within the conference, but at times, um, as you know, they just look lost too. Right. So it was it was one of those things where it wasn't consistent enough with Charlie Strong and Vance Bedford. There was no consistency in that that modus operandi. They would do that against Baylor, and then they'd go get whip versus you know Oklahoma State and mm-hmm. West Virginia and I Iowa State, Iowa and State and Kansas. So I wouldn't. I'd be like, well. Yeah, you can't do that against Baylor and Oklahoma and yeah. then have the same type of performance right. we saw versus Kansas. So they have they lack consistency. And with uh, Tyler Lando, what I just pointed out that I like, I know what the hell he's trying to achieve uh, from down to down and from game to game. Rod, I want to read this passage. This is your talk about Manny Diaz. Your, your answer there on Manny Diaz has got me thinking, and I wanted to pull the story up. Uh, back in late August, actually around August 30th at 24-7 Sports, Chris Hummer uh, did an interview with Manny Diaz. And the headline of the story, if anybody wants to throw it in their Google machine, uh, how a Texas-sized failure helped reboot Manny Diaz's career. Interesting. And this is – I'm just going to read this from Chris's story. Um, and, and, Rod, hmm. this is why I think Todd Orlando's got a chance to sustain this because the culture Tom Herman's trying to implement, if this culture ends up being a winning culture, because we talked about how bad the culture was – and just how dysfunctional everything was towards the end of Mac Brown's tenure. Yeah. Uh, in the time following his exit from Austin, Diaz tried to define his, quote, non-negotiables. What he discovered is there are certain elements, mostly relating to toughness and tackling, that are necessarily necessary to putting together a quality defense. Mm. Diaz called toughness a 365-day program thing, which related to everything from players attending class to how they work in the weight room. From toughness came, willingness to, came the willingness to tackle. Those are Diaz's core values as a coach. Mm. Uh, if he didn't have them, it's nearly possible. To, it's nearly impossible to find success. If you see that taken away from you, this is a quote from Manny Diaz. If you see that taken away from you, you can realize you can never have that happen again. When asked if he meant, when asked if he meant Texas under Brown didn't have those elements, Diaz took a ten thousand foot view. 
there are certain things that if you just look, um, hmm. certain ways that programs are designed and certain programs are pieced together where you want to know that the formula is there at this time to win. That's what this is right now at the University of Miami. That's what this is under Coach Richt. In general, there is an alignment in the program and how we expect to win and what our plans are to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like he had to learn. He was a young coordinator, and he's definitely learning from mistakes, and that's like exactly what you sort of the hypothesis about him was being a guy that knows football, like you are saying. But then there's a lot more that comes to especially to being a college coach, not even a pro coach, but like these kids that you learn, the personalities, him there talking about just basic stuff like tackling, but then having to understand that, no, that isn't something that you're going to let slide, and they'll do that on Saturday. That's more of a habit, not a learned behavior certain things like that so learning his personnel learning mm-hmm. himself learning what to do inside the sport that's actually pretty uh to, exactly to me what that would expect to me that speaks more to really with the exception of sean watson who i wasn't a fan of as a coach before he came to texas yeah. and has had mixed results since leaving pretty much every coach that we thought was terrible while they were here texas is really the only thing on their resume that suggests they're not a good football coach Brian harson too Joe Wickline. Oh, Joe Wickline goes to West Virginia, and West Virginia mm-hmm. offensive line is really good. Yeah. yeah, we had a lot of combining identity. Every year it we was, needed to find that new identity. Well, it was, uh, it was. Um, I think what you're, what you're dealing with is a, a cancer within the program, mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that, that cancer was so toxic within the program. Even those coaches who came to, to try to reinvent Texas football, part of the reinvention, it hurt them. It, hurt, it, yeah. it, it deteriorated their development as a coach. You know what I mean? Think Everything about that. it touched, the players yeah, like exactly. become NFL players like exactly. immediately. Look at the, the players that weren't developed, they had to be undrafted free agents in the NFL. It That 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 toxicity touched everything that had to do with Texas football. Hell, even the a- athletic director position. Yeah. It, it it touched everything, man. Steve Patterson, it, nothing, uh, it was, there was nothing that was – uh, exempt from influence by whatever. We still haven't figured out what what, what happened to the program. So the we whole, still don't know. Yeah, athletics we, department. Still, it's it's like the you know the NFL ratings issue. Like nobody, there's still not one thing you can quantify to say this is what happened in Texas football. Yeah, after 2009, yeah. nobody really knows. There's like a lot of different things and theories we throw out there, but nobody actually knows what happened. Um, you know, obviously Manny Diaz, I think, has a more uh, distinct and unique perspective than anybody else. But I I agree. I think that. You know, it, it hurt his development. It hurt Brian Harson's development. You know, Major Applewhite. I think all those guys. Those are, turns out those are damn good coaches, all yeah. those guys. And they could Stacey not Searles. fix it together. Yeah, they couldn't fix it here. That's yeah. crazy, man. And it's been fun the last two weeks watching Mac Brown call the games of Manny Diaz uh, and yeah. Searles. And then the day he was calling the week before his former boy and Charlie, there was a Thursday night game. So, yeah, just seeing the whole Sterling program. Gilbert's They're all over the place. It, uh, with South Florida. That offense is rolling. Let's just wait and get to the offense. I'm oh, sorry. Well, my, yeah, my, yeah. yeah I'm just getting, I want to say, Rod, in case I have a rant, and I, I don't really want to this week, but I just want to save it for the end. I gotta, no, no, I understand. You, you I got to keep my powder dry, Yeah, Rod. you can't get too worked up already. Yeah, keep yeah. my powder dry. Yeah, um, But this defense, I mean, I, I at this point, three games in a row, I oh. feel like we can say that the Maryland game is really the outlier. Yeah, this team is because my thing is, is oh, I will look at the defense and I'm trying to figure out you know how they're going to perform in the Big Twelve when they get face all these prolific offenses and we're just starting to get to Big Twelve play. I was with the first win over Iowa State, but I think the the defense is almost perfectly suited 
to have success in the Big 12. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, defense is in the Big 12. You know, your your definition of defense has to change about what is an effective defense in the Big 12. It right. just does. It ain't. It can't be just total yardage, and it can't just be about, you know, points where there are certain things you have to be good at to fit this culture defensively. Right now, Texas has best red zone defense in the Big 12. Best third down defense, I think, in the Big 12. Their second in rush defense, I think, behind TCU, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in terms of sacks and getting out to the quarterback, they started really, really slow. Remember after the Maryland game, they started really, really slow. But in the last two games, man, the pressure has amped up in terms of mm-hmm. disruptive plays, eight, making plays in the backfield. Eight sacks, 16 tackles for loss in the last three games. There you go. You know what I mean? So they started slow, so they're starting to – and that's something you have to do in the Big 12, too. you got to get after the quarterback uh, and be able to put pressure on the quarterback. But there are certain red zone defense and third down defense. If Texas can stay really good at those things, right now they're best in the Big 12 in those things. Those are two key areas. And forcing turnovers is mm-hmm. big, too. And defense is very opportunistic. They force a lot of turnovers. Those are just a few areas that Texas excels at right now. That they can continue to be good at that. We can be looking at a defense that if they keep trending – you know, in this in this culture of the Big Twelve, a prolific offensive culture, two thousand nine Nebraska. If you want to contend for a Big Twelve title, where the offense is just inept, it's terrible, but mm-hmm. the defense is so dominant that they can still contend for a conference. Title. Rod, would you would you like me to run down where Texas ranks defensively in the Big Twelve? Because I got it in front of me right now. Oh, here. please do. Uh, yeah, because <clears throat> my stats may be off. Okay, you. rush defense second, scoring defense fourth. Uh, let's see, total defense fourth. Um, let's see, go down here. Pass efficiency defense second. Okay. Gonna scroll down here a little bit. Interceptions first. Oh, that's must have passed TCU. TCU was first. Um, opponent first downs third. Very good. Ranking way up there. Opponent third down conversions first. Texas only giving up allowed twenty six point four percent conversion rate for the season. Yeah. And that's really big. I mean, in, uh, you know, we may yeah. see the numbers that – And then red up- zone defense, Rod, you're right. Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to cut you off. Texas, number first in the Big 12 in red zone defense, 11 trips by the opponent, only five touchdowns. It's nasty, man. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the game-by-game game numbers, they may fluctuate, but the one stat that really shows consistency in football is pressures. Pressures will then either end up in potential sacks, potential passes yeah. uh, you know, that are thrown inaccurately, which will be picks, or even the fumbles off of sacks. So if you just see Texas continuing to rank up there in pressures, get pressures, then you should only be able to expect the havoc to be there. And then if those pressures get there, like we were saying, it may just help somebody like Chris Boyd be more consistent because he knows that there's that internal clock that he has four seconds and then it's time to go just watch I mean you watch the Denver defense they're just sitting back in the NFL trying to pick off because I mean those guys can be the best corners or somebody like Roby can step in immediately and be considered a best corner because he knows not only on one side you have somebody locking it down but then Mm -hmm. he knows that the pass rush is going to be able to get there and it just makes you then just grow almost an avalanche of confidence defensively. Uh, Zach Barnett tweeted this out um, that the Texas defense, since the Maryland game, they are just since the Maryland game in that time span, they are seventh nationally in, in points per game allowed, 24th nationally in yards per game allowed, uh, 19th in yards per play allowed, and they are first in yards per rush allowed mm. since 
Um, yeah. That man, per play numbers. That's just, one um, one point six yards a carry. Texas allowing over the last three six, games. Four, yeah, that's cr- that, that is. Yeah, that that actually sounds like a fake stat. Yeah, that doesn't even sound. It sounds like you made a mistake. When no, you that's like what that I think. There. And it's funny. I bring up the Denver defense. I saw that when you combine the four great running backs they faced this year, it's like fifty rushes for like ninety eight yards. They haven't even combined for a touch. So if you can see something being that dominant, that you're giving up less than two yards per carry. Yeah, and that's how. That, and, and there you go. That you're talking about taking something away, Todd Orlando. His you know, what is like I said, his modus operandi taking away the run. And right now. In the last three games, nobody is better in the country at taking away the run than Todd Orlando. And on top of that, he runs a zone blitz type scheme, but this uh, ability to bring pressure that's only going to then, whenever it, there is a chance at a pass, it's going to just alleviate that from the defense. Yeah. No, I, and, it's, and, it, and we've talked about the guys up front. It's, it's amazing to me, and Malik is playing like he doesn't want to play here. He's, uh, it's like he's on year. full speed. <laughs> he's uh, he's running. It, it's no, literally he's, like I'm watching Terminator. Uh, yeah, it's Terminator, and it's since John Connor's just running full speed at all times. But all it is Malik yeah. going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, he's. Um, I mean, I, I think if he plays at this level, then he'll be gone after this year, which is I think the, was supposed to be the goal initially for him. He's playing at that high level. We talked about the defense enough, and looking at where Texas ranks in the Big 12, I just started looking at some of the offensive numbers. So let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Um, more like the big pile of elephant dung in the room. <laughs> the Texas offense. It's a little more accurate. How about seventh in the Big 12 in scoring offense? How about eighth in the league in passing offense? Total offense, seventh. Team pass efficiency, next to last. Mm. Only Kansas is worse. Rushing offense, sixth. Let me scroll down here a little mm. bit. How about sacks allowed? You know, Baylor's the only team in the Big 12 that's allowed more sacks than Texas. 0-5 Baylor? Yeah. 12 sacks allowed through four games by the Texas offensive line. Uh, Texas actually not bad in third-down conversions. Texas is third in the Big 12 in third-down conversion rate. It's not bad. But turnover margin, Texas is sixth because the offense has turned it over eight times. And red zone offense, Rod, where you've got to be really good to win in this league, Texas is butt-naked last butt in the Big 12. Last. 16 trips to the red zone, only 10 touchdowns on those 16 trips. Yeah, They've missed a field goal, turned it over twice. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know where to start offensively, but oh, yes I, I'll tell you where. It, and I'll t- This actually gives me a good segue. You know where to start. Um, because we had some news at Horns 24-7 last week. Uh, we merged with the Texas Scout site, so Taylor Estes and Chip Brown are now with us on the team at Hornets 24-7. Merger's nice. been going very well, so Big glad goodness. we got to expand. The right, as, as you said. The roster's improving, as, as you said, man, uh, anybody, if you cover this program long enough, there's uh, a lot of incestuous relationships the way it is, man. that happen. Yep. And uh, Chip and I have never worked on the same team, uh, but now we are. So, And now that I'm over here at the Horn, we're doing our podcast with – 1049 the horn, hornfm.com. Chip's still across town at the zone. So it's just one of those weird deals that just yeah. shows how crazy covering this team is. Like crazy how crazy, crazy uh, corporate uh, corporations. <laughs> they become conglomerates yeah, then when you start conglomeration, absorbing. Yeah. Yes. Very, very, very happy that we're over here, though. No doubt about it. But yes, mm-hmm. I say that to say this. Chip had uh, his one big takeaway from Tom Herman's Monday press conference, and I'm, I'm working on mine. I. I would have mine posted right now, but I've got to come in the studio and record this show. So, <laughs> at any rate, um, Chip went into the disconnect 
that appears to exist now between Tom Herman and Tim Beck. And this stemmed from the Monday press conference where Tom Herman was asked about his relationship with Tim Beck. Uh-oh. And I didn't hear this. You know, Tom Her- Tom Herman's answer was he, he went into the fact that he doesn't – he envies coaches – that call plays the head coaches that call plays because yeah. he said he doesn't feel like he sees the game very well from the sideline feels like he if he were calling plays he would be much better calling plays from the press box he, Tom he Herman said this yeah, he, yes he Tom Herman said this so I want to just read you this excerpt from Chip's piece which you can get at horns247.com uh, this is Chip's piece when I asked Herman about how his relationship how his first year relationship with Beck was evolving in terms of how they're working together during games, including adjustments, Herman said, quote, the biggest thing we're learning, I can give you some really good input if you can give me some really good information based on what you're seeing. With that kind of detailed information, I can help. Uh, and this is more from Chip. For those wondering if Herman has any thoughts on about taking over play calling to help jumpstart the offense, Herman, Herman basically gave you an answer on Monday. As a head coach, you've got to manage the game, Herman said. I envy the guys who are head coaches who call plays. I was always best calling plays from the box. There were times when the head coach would have me call plays from the field, and I was a fish out of water. So basically what Tom Herman's saying is, I can give you input, but my OC's got to be able to give me good information. And, Rod, considering the fact that this offense, number one, that it is the way it is, that we really haven't seen them make great in-game adjustments, tells me there's a disconnect there. Yeah. But here's the bigger thing, and Tom Herman said this after the game. Uh, and he nobody really asked him about play calling, but he addressed play calling after uh, the Iowa State game. He said, it's difficult as a play caller when you're making one yard or two yards, you just want to say, forget it and let's throw it every snap. That's not the answer either. Oh no! I thought the patience and persistence by the offense was good. Now we've got to be better and more consistent throughout the course of a game. Rod, I could underline that, circle it, bold it, highlight it, whatever. This The quote about forget it and let's just throw it every snap, that's not the answer either. That tells me everything we've been talking about on this show that I've been writing on the site that everybody that's watched this team against three power five opponents when the answer for Tim Beck has been screw it, let's just go with an empty set and just start flinging the rock. Yeah, That's what Tom Herman sees. And if he's giving you that in a press conference, you know that's getting talked about behind the scenes. Rod, I know we talked last week about it's Tom Herman's offense, Tim Beck's just the play caller, blah, blah, blah. I feel like this is a disconnect that's potentially a bigger issue than maybe we thought it ever was. This is why, you know, it's so the alignment factor, and this is I'm using Tom Herman's words, alignment and even compatibility when it comes to your coaches is so big. Compatibility with your culture and your offensive philosophy. Because, you know, when Tom Herman, he and uh, Major are having this same type of dynamic, right? An right. offensive-minded head coach and then your offensive coordinator, they probably have way more synchronicity. I mean, they're boys, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Tom Herman was staying at his house here in, in Austin, living there. Even though Tom, Tom said today he had never worked with Major before they worked together at but Houston. Not, but chemistry. Y- chemistry, exactly. chemistry happens between – yeah. we're dealing with two people. Understand right. this. Yes. It's just two people that have to spend 14 of 24 hours together a day. Period. First of all, it helps just like the person. Yes. I got to spend a lot of time with you. Everybody just like you. I just, right. you know what I mean? We just vibe. We, you know, we get the same references, the same inside jokes. You like Seinfeld. I like Seinfeld. <laughs> we just get along a little bit. That helps. 
It does. I mean, people are like, yeah, oh, that doesn't really matter. It matters. It's huge because when it comes to describing describing what you're seeing on the field and us seeing the same thing that you are seeing from the booth and I'm seeing from the sideline, and then to be able to come to uh, come to a, a compromise on a certain play call, and we got I don't know. 20 seconds to do it, mm-hmm. it would help if our communication was fluid. It would help if our communication was something that was seamless and that, hey, I could, I could, get, I could say one reference, hey, man, you remember, uh, remember that, that play, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, you know what? Let's do this, that. Oh, I like that. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. even better. That's even better. Do that, do that. You know, it would help to have that. That, that is something that communication that you got to work at in relationships over years to master. And I wonder right now with Tim Beck and Tom Herman, we know right now, based on that quote, they're not seeing the same things. And we know, based on the quote from Tim Beck and then from Tom Herman last week, that even their philosophies may not necessarily be the same. Because Tim Beck, he kind of a troubling trend. He relies when the fit is to shan on trying to throw the ball. And Tom Herman's like, no, we don't want to abandon the running game. That's not what we do. In the Iowa State game, what happened? The running game was still an atrocious, bad running game. You averaged less than three yards a carry. But what did you do? You kept running the damn ball. Because you at least, and I think they end up having, what, 40 minutes of time possession, yep. you at least would like to be be somewhat balanced and not abandon the running game. I think that Iowa State game was more Tom Herman's influence saying, no, 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 we're not going to abandon the running game. It's not going to happen. I know we're banging our head against a brick wall with it, but we're not going to abandon it. It ain't going to happen. And I think you're going to see more and more Tom Herman influence on this offense until the point where, hell, I don't know, you may end up with Tim Beck as a ghost play caller where he's not calling a damn thing, where it's Tom Herman's offense totally and he, that he basically is calling the plays or if not approving everything that Tim Beck uh, decides to call. Yeah, and when you listen to Herman talk today, he talked a couple different times about their relationship or just actually Herman's own, you know, just identity coming into this job and being that it, there's a layer of learning on the job that's something that no matter where he's been, it's still more in working with the new staff. And he said one of the biggest things that he thinks could be improved would be the ability to adjust in game because they were talking about how, you know, game planning, they're on the same page and they can have all these great things that uh, could indicate that they could do well Saturday. But then whenever it comes to applying this to the players, that they had to scrap that and we aren't going to be able to get all to all this stuff. So we aren't going to be able to uh, get those young players to grasp it all. So let's simplify it. He kept talking about having to simplify everything down. It sort of just sounded as if Beck is this guy. It's great to be with Herman in the film room to come up with concepts mm-hmm. with ideas. But, as but a then play it's caller. sort of similar what we were talking yeah. about. Even Manny Diaz's struggle here was then applying it to the players and applying the situation, not knowing your personnel yet, or also now being limited with the offensive line, being so young. And he mentioned how, yeah, we may scrap up all this stuff and love it all, but then if some but something happens, injury, we got to throw it out all after the first series, and now what? And then that's where the Texas offense has not looked good. And he said that this is something that he could see them both getting much better at, but it also it makes sense that they aren't very good at it right now, and it's going to take some time. It's going to be one of those, as he called, a layer of learning on the job, and right now not complete systems intact. Right. Yeah. Matt's point brings up something, though, you and I have talked about. And I've talked about it pretty much every game I've watched this offense with the exception of the San Jose State game. I can't watch this Texas offense and tell you what they're trying to get accomplished, tell you what they're trying to do. And that, to me, is the biggest problem. And it goes back to the communication issues because it feels like for stretches of games, like they're just kind of throwing it against the wall and saying, well, let's just try this. Let's just try this. And there's no flow. There's no identity. There's no nothing. It's just – You're just going through a call sheet and just 
like going with God and seeing may maybe this will work. Yeah. And there's nothing they have yet to identify something, whether it's through personnel reasons or they don't feel comfortable with certain schemes or whatever. They have yet to find something they can hang their hat on and say, we do this very well. Yeah, I'm looking at the, what's the advantage, you know what I mean, for Texas offensively. You know, is it, it's not a schematic advantage. We know that now. It's not going to be a schematic advantage like, you know, Oregon had under Chip Kelly or Baylor had under our brows where the scheme is such a uh, it's such an impact itself. It's so hard to game plan for that it in itself will give you an advantage and an identity. Um, is it personnel? Um, you know, is that one personnel uh, a piece, a package, or your one player in their personnel package is that guy almost indefensible, and that gives you an advantage. So there's no personnel advantage right now, even though Colin Johnson is, you know, basically unguardable. If he's in man to man, he's open. But there doesn't seem to be a personnel advantage for Texas, meaning up front as a with a unit or a running back unit, or even you know, the wide receiver group. I say is the one group where I would say there's a personnel advantage, but you can't exploit it yet because mm-hmm. your offensive line really can't block enough, and you can't figure out who your quarterback's going to be or keep one healthy enough to be able to exploit and maximize that. So that's what I'm looking for offensively. And if they can't get it schematically, uh, get an advantage that way, or get one with the personnel, this is why a lot of people, and we won't won't dwell on it too much, but of course it's part of the overall conversation. A lot of people are saying, hey, just insert a new quarterback, and that may be the fix. That may – it may have a butterfly domino effect offensively. It may improve something else. And then it may, I mean, and I'm not saying it's, that it happens, but we've seen that happen before. Hell, it happened with the Texans with Deshaun Watson. It literally, there's certain, you know, you can, it's such an impact position. You can put a, a new quarterback into a system. If they're more compatible and if they have a different skill set, then that can have a butterfly effect and improve other positions and other units offensively. That is the question people are asking now because the offense looks so destitute. Yeah, and then if you add in just that one built-in advantage, like you were saying, of the quarterback, when everything goes bad, you have offense makes still. A, to where that's a baseline that yeah. is something where it literally makes it a second play if the quarterback's exactly right. conscience Exactly it. right. Exactly right. It's like Aaron Rodgers says that they have two plays on every play, that they have that, then the out-of-the-pocket well, the, play. Well, you got the scramble play, yeah. the scramble yeah. drill. I mean, think about it. You, well, okay, that's what people always Let's do. talk about how the, 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 um, you know, the quarterback position can improve every position on the team. Let's look at the Texans, and then we'll go, to the, yeah, they will go to the Longhorns. The Texans, their running game is better with Deshaun Watson in there because the defensive line now has a plus-one running threat to worry about. So mm-hmm. the D-line, the defensive ends, have to be more cautious about their, their angles to the football, and they have to make sure that those play-action fakes or those zone refakes that that quarterback is contained and is in the pocket. So the defensive line can't tee off like they used to. So your, your running game, just your traditional running back running game, is more effective. Mm-hmm. You also have another threat in the running game with a plus one, so that's a plus run in the running game. If your offensive line is bad, like the Texans' offensive line is really bad, I right, one of the fifth worst offensive lines in the NFL. You can extend plays; they don't have to block as longer. They don't have to hold their blocks as long, so you can extend plays, get outside the pocket, move the pocket. That helps your offensive line too. Uh, even special teams. I, I think Shane Leckler punted twice inside his 20-yard line uh, in, in the last game for the Texans because they were always moving the football, getting positive yards. So it helps your special teams and Texans. Like the Longhorns have a damn good, good punter, punter too, okay? And you can you can you can kind of win town possession, dominate town possession, and play with a lead that helps out your defense. 
That is why the quarterback position, and you know, how about the wide receivers? You extend plays, you have to cover those wide receivers even longer than you had to initially. So instead of three and a half seconds covering a guy, you got to cover somebody for five and a half to six seconds. You imagine going up for a jump, hail Mary ball on an extended play against Colin Johnson when he's going to box you out? That's hell. You know yeah. what I mean? So all of these things are kind of the reverberating butterfly effect of what a dual threat quarterback can do for you if they're utilized correctly. Now, these are the options now Longhorn fans are looking at because. Yeah, they might be out of they might be out of ideas. Yeah, it seems like to me as, as what you're talking about watching Iowa State game and I was watching it too. I'm like, is this are these the ideas y'all came up with? <laughs> y'all had a bye week? Is this was this it? Is this really this is it? Okay, well then you might need to start look, thinking outside the box then. You might need to start looking at another alternative uh option to rectify a situation offensively because I don't see enough, I don't know, uh, offensive genius and offensive creativity that's going to solve these problems for the Longhorns through the next uh, stretch of game through the Big 12. Mm-hmm. From, from that standpoint, it was no different, Rod, than last year defensively having the bye week before the Oklahoma State game, and that was the game plan we saw. That's what you, yeah, right. you had all this time to get ready for this game, and that's, that's what you came up with. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple different ways I want to attack this. Number one, I did think it's at times there were some encouraging signs with personnel in terms of we saw little Jordan Humphrey. Tony Carter. We saw Tony Carter yeah. get in the game. We saw Cade Brewer on the field more, who actually looks like the best option you've got at tight end right now. Yeah. So we saw, we, Rob, we saw some 21 personnel looks. Yeah. We saw some 20, 20 personnel. personnel. Saw some different things. Some of the things we've been talking about that, hey, maybe just try this. Maybe see if this works. See yeah. if this works. So we saw some of that. Some of the run game schemes, we saw some changes with some of that. So I think some of those things were encouraging. What discouraged me, again, was kind of the default to the drop-back passing game, which leads me to the quarterback conversation, that I still don't think it really matters who your quarterback is. Mm. If if they were going to go to Sam Ellinger, given the fact that Shane Bouchelle ran the ball, was it 13 times, he had 13 times. official carries yeah. against Iowa State, they would have made the change. There was no reason why they why they shouldn't have. That that's if it's going to be your game plan, if it was your game plan to run your quarterback powers and your sweeps and have Shane Bouchelle be the guy, and you didn't make the change, then that tells me they clearly think Shane Bouchelle is the better option. I'm not saying they're right. I'm saying that's the impression I get. That's the conclusion I draw yeah. from the fact that Shane Bouchelle is the guy. I think at the end of the day. Tom Herman doesn't see the guy right now on campus that's the ideal fit for his offense. Because if he did think it was Sam Ellinger right now, I think he would have made that change already. Yeah, but the best bad idea, the Argo principle, applies here. Yeah. No, I'm, and, I, well, I get that. Hear, hear me out. Just hear me out. And I think it just may also be that could be the guy that he thinks he is. He may become that. I think he just may not think Ellinger's fully ready to grasp it all. But he looked really well against USC. I, you I, know, but. I, I think given the way the offense is struggling right now, if they thought Sam Ellinger was ready to be the guy, they would have made that move already. Yeah, if he was ready to. I think they just don't think he's ready, but I think they may think that he fits their offense at least. I, I'm I'm not 100% convinced that he does. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I look, I, Rod, I, Tom, Tom Herman can say all he wants to. Oh, you don't need Braxton Miller. You don't need Greg Ward. This offense has been a lot better when you've had Braxton Miller or Greg Ward. At I know it's something he's like. Well, we don't. You don't need a dual threat quarterback. Yeah. So well, I don't need air conditioner. But you know what? My quality of life is a whole lot better when I have it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? So, I think he agrees. You know, too, I don't you know? Need, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I understand what he's trying to say, and I, I know what he's trying to do. I know. Tom Herman is just trying to play both sides, and he's smart to do it because I think in the end. 
He's like, in 2018, I want both of these quarterbacks here. That's I think that's his number one priority with the way he handles yeah. the quarterback position. That in 2018, mm-hmm. that in training camp, I want Shane Bouchel and Sam Ellinger competing for that that's job. That's a good point right that there. Is, so every, Don't let every him transfer. decision he makes, exactly. Yeah, every decision he makes is with how can I best put myself in position to have both of these guys back in 2018. That's why I think he's handling it the way he's handling it. And that's a great theory. You know it's I mean? the best theory I it's, could think of it all right because now, too. Because if, if you mess up and say you name one guy that started too early or you go with Sam mm-hmm. and Shane checks out and Shane wants to transfer, then you're back in this, this cycle of quarterback hell once again where you can't you, – you got you to gotta play a quarterback before he's ready. You can't redshirt one. But that being said, we are in the, we are in the now. We are in the present tense. We can't worry about you know eight, nine months from now, which is what I think Tom Herman, he's a $5 million man. That's what he's paid to do. We are paid, all right, to talk about the here and the now. And I'm telling you, the here and the now – for the, if you are going to have Shane Boucher as your starting quarterback, you need to change that offense, man. Yes. Same thing I said about Bill O'Brien. When, when Bill O'Brien tried out Deshaun Watson for that Cincinnati game, and I said, well, if you're going to have Deshaun Watson as your starting quarterback, you better change that offense. You better tailor it to that, that player's specific skill set. And, man, to my surprise – Bill O'Brien did exactly that. Sorry, I'm talking a lot about Deshaun Watson, but I'm a Texans fan, and we finally got a quarterback. So a lot of my examples are going there. Yeah, but my point being is that he they he tailored that offense. They had they ran trip, they ran option plays, Mm -hmm. they ran zone read. Man, they had RPOs working. Bill O'Brien has admitted. I asked Deshaun Watson what he likes to run, and he's admitted that Deshaun Watson is teaching us spread concepts from college. Right, yeah. so right. you got this kind, of, this, this synergy working, and I think it, it it's got the Texans vibing. I think the Longhorns. This is what I'm talking about compatibility with the quarterbacks. I understand he may not have his ideal quarterback on campus right now, but you might have to go with the Argo principle, the best bad idea. And right now, the best bad idea may be Sam Ellinger. Hell, it may just be the healthiest damn quarterback available, which is Sam Ellinger, because Shane Bouchel once again has another injury, right. uh, which is the ankle injury, and he's wearing a protective boot because of it. Is a 75 percent Shane Bouchel. Uh, a better option than a hundred percent Sam Ellinger. You know these are things that they got to figure out. But if this offense can't get a spark. Even Tom Herman would have to admit, I got to do something. I can't just, you know, what do you say? Definition of insanity is repeating the same, the same results over and over again, expecting repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's what he's doing right now, uh, to, to a certain extent. Right to your point about changing the offense, Rod. And I, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but I don't. Tom Herman said some of the effect of recently that. You know, yeah, we could throw the ball on first down to you know set up the run, but he said something like that's not who we are. Well, what you what you want to be and what you need to be, exactly. they're not going to match up right exactly. now. So if again, if Shane Bouchel is going to be your guy, if you've determined he's your best option to win games, which clearly, in my opinion, that's based the on the feel. Iowa State game, that's how they feel. Yeah. Yeah. Then you need to change the offense because here's the issue with Shane Bouchel as your quarterback with the offense is currently constructed. I, I know he talked about Iowa State did things they weren't prepared for. Iowa State did the exact same thing Maryland did. Mm-hmm. They rushed three, dropped eight, and said, we dare you to run the football. Yep, we're shrinking we the dare you to lanes. take off. Yeah. I'm not giving you the verticals. Not you to do if ball. you can fit a ball into a window that you probably have no business fitting it into, then so be it. Yep. But we're not going to give you We're not going to give you the vertical stuff. Nope. They're going to make your quarterback either tuck it and run it, especially with a guy like Shane. You're like, I want right. you to run it. Please run it, Shane. And it, I think it played right into the hands. I'm with you. And to the point about Tom Herman being a guy that needs to run the football, we talked about the importance of the rushing yardage battle in his career as a head coach. You know, I'll go back to being at the Texas High School Coach Association convention and watching him go through a lecture where he's talking about his offense. When his offense is at its best, a lot of their good stuff they really get into in the passing game is based off of play action. Mm-hmm. Rod, you can't have a play action passing game if you can't run the ball. Nope. 
<laughs> it's just that's you know? I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, and it's so it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like one thing can open up another. You establish, you get a dual threat quarterback helps the running game. Running game helps the play action. So that's why I'm wondering if they're if they're gonna if they're getting to that point. If they if not, and I totally understand it. You have to change that offense, and I, and I don't know exactly what you want to do. They did have a high percentage passing game versus Iowa State. That's exactly what it was. Like yeah. I would envision, that's the type of offense you want a Shane in. But the thing that it was lacking was a was a deep threat. There was no vertical threat right. in that offensive game plan for Texas versus Iowa State. And if you have no vertical threat at all, then essentially without a running game, um, you're playing a high percentage pass. You're playing seven on seven out there. Teams are defending. <laughs> teams are defending. We've seen Maryland and Iowa State defend Shane Bouchelle the exact same way defenses started defending him at the end of last year. Yeah. Take away the verticals. If he can beat us throwing it 16 times on a 16-play drive, nickel and diamond it down the field, and so be it. And now without a Deontay Foreman to move those chains, right. yeah, I think you're seeing because the result people, of that type of offensive philosophy. Everybody gets caught up on, well, they didn't attack the middle of the field. Shane Bouchelle didn't throw to the middle of the field. You didn't have to because the point of the Viren shoot Opening up the middle of the field is opening up the middle of the field for the run game. Yeah. And guess what? If I've got Deontay Foreman one-on-one with a linebacker or safety, hell, I'll take that six days a week and twice on Sunday. That's the yards. advantage. That's the schematic advantage the Veeran shoot gave you. It's not to run all these posts and these elaborate things. The Sterling Gilbert version of Veeran shoot, you Agreed. open up the middle of the field to get one-on-one opportunities for Deontay Foreman to maximize. Because Deontay Foreman's a guy that maximizes runs, which mm-hmm. brings me to the yeah. running back situation. And, Rod, I think yeah. Boy, I think it's this simple with this running back situation. And I maybe somebody can point it to me if I'm wrong. I never felt like the offensive fix was simple as just give Chris Warren more carries. No. No, Situationally, you could have used him better, but it wasn't just give it to him 20 no. times and your offense will be better. No, it's not what it is. I think the coaches don't feel like Kyle Porter or Chris Warren are a special running back. I don't think they view that they've got a special back with either of those two guys. Oh, they've proven so far. They've proven them right so far. Yeah, so, so the answer then to why not just roll the dice and play the two young kids and just get ready for next year in the future? I think, and he may, we maybe at least we're seeing more and more of somebody like say Carter. And right now, I would say the reason maybe you aren't seeing as much. We heard today also from Herman how much the valuing of the ball matters. Like he literally talking about you know Foreman's job as a punt returner, and also looking that that's a prerequisite. You can't even get on the field, so it would maybe indicate like that has been an issue to the guys that haven't been able to see the field as much. But at one point, you know, it's going to come down to okay, guy that gets you know yards or the guy that has the explosivity and we heard Herman talk about guys that not breaking getting any yards after contact or not even I mean he explained about falling forward today and how they have had to work with that over and over but certain backs it's just not in their running style so it's a tough situation where you're stuck with either an experienced guy that may have some flaws or you're going to go with a guy that's probably mediocre so we see at least trending in the right direction to see more of the young running backs. The Chris Warren thing, Rod. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, the, your offensive line situation was not great. Yeah, against was, Iowa State, it was disappointing. But I mean, I, I felt, I feel like Chris Warren does a much better job of maximizing runs than Kyle Porter does. I do, but I, I'm if the coaches feel uh, the way that you just presented that they, I think that's one of the special. I, I agree. That's the only you. thing I can figure out at this. I point. I agree with you at this point. It would seem that it, at least that Chris Warren would need a like like Deontay Foreman. He had a. A, a below average to average offensive line and was able to thrive. And I don't know if a Chris Warren or a Kyle Porter could thrive behind what is now an average to a below average offensive line, especially without a Connor Williams now. So I'm with you. I don't know. I think you got to get, I think creativity is the key then to kind of manufacturing rushing yards. And I, 
I'm just not saying enough. I didn't see more of it versus Iowa State. I saw more personnel packages, 20 personnel, 21 personnel. Uh, I want to see more, I think uh, Brian, Brian Hawson called it funk, uh, yeah. pre-snap motions and shifts. You ever watch, mm-hmm. I mean, you watch some of uh, these, the the, uh, the spread offenses, and, you know, our wide receivers are them the deepest position we have on offense. Man, I don't see why you don't use more of those guys uh, shifting and more speed sweeps and more misdirection with the wide receivers. They always say emotion causes emotion. Defenders, we're just processing information. Brain mm-hmm. is a computer. I'm processing information before the snap. My alignment, my assignment, uh, I'm, look, I'm reading the three-step. I'm paying attention to the motion. Oh, what's my adjustment to the motion to my side from trips now to twins? And all of that stuff I'm processing, man, you get guys sending guys in motion and disrupting guys with shifts and um, all of this stuff right before the, the play and right before the snap, you'll be surprised how often you'll just get a guy wide open. Yeah. Only because a defender is looking at different things and now his eye discipline has been tested and he started staring at uh, the motion too long mm-hmm. and lost his guy. A second of hesitation. It happens all the time and it's literally because of the kind of the pre-snap game that is won um, before the play is snapped. And I think you and I know that may be more on a young quarterback if you put him out there and maybe that's not really something they practice a lot. I think you still you got to put stuff like that in um, because that misdirection that'll give you more running lanes too. You got you got mm-hmm. you know you got cross direction, you got misdirection, you got guys going different ways where the defensive end is going to stall. He may chase the wrong player, he may chase the guy with the fake and not the ball carrier. You get safety taking bad angles. Uh, guy can break a tackle. This is how I think. This is how I think you kind of get um, get into a groove offensively. So I think you do more of that. I would little Jordan Humphrey. I still want to see little Jordan. I think he was the leading receiver last game. Um, I want to see little Jordan Humphrey get the ball more in different situations to maximize him. I think you should put him in the slot. He should be your you know that tight end, that flex tight end. Chess you can do piece. a lot of stuff with him as a chess piece. Yeah. So. As a decoy, I think you got to start being more creative offensively. I don't know if I'm seeing enough of that. From yeah, because, I mean, we've heard after each week when there's been the inefficiencies on offense, it's like, well, okay, well, what's causing Texas to have the issues? Oh, well, they put Nate in the box. Or they just had a coverage up top and where you're keeping no chance to take the top off the passing game. It's like, well, the type of things you just spoke of, the pre-snap motion, those are the only built-in ways to give yourself a tiny advantage. If you're already admitting you're playing at a disadvantage, say, from talent, and then say the scheme is going to be taking away the way that we were just talking about the Texas defense and needing to always take away something. Obviously, we're admitting right now, the coaches are, that the opposing team is taking us away, making us one one-dimensional on a week-to-week basis depending on it so if you know they're doing that the uh, only way to adapt like we were saying is something with that pre-snap funk and that's the one era that you find these this new staff in exactly. is sort of that adaption situation where you, we always talk about you know being able to evolve your talent and be able to fit it into your system but you know you have to do that in real time too and right now trying to find with other players to fit in we're watching this happen and it hasn't been as successful as Texas fans would like. Rod I, I do want to bring up something though from the Iowa State game um, and I felt like the offense had some things working early, especially that first drive where everything yeah, looked good. Chris, Chris Warren had, what, five carries for 24 yeah. yards on and that? this is the question I asked yeah. you last week because you've been around the Grudens and the Shanahans and some pretty bright offensive minds in your time around the game. And how, when do you cross the line from, you know, being created to getting too far outside the box and yeah. getting too cute? Okay. And, you know, I didn't really – the call to run the reverse was Chris questionable, Warren, but the execution yeah. was just even worse. 
And at the time of the fumble, <clears throat> Texas was averaging 5.4 yards a play, almost 5.5 yards yeah, a play yeah. at the time of the fumble. Um, after that, uh, Texas finished the game with 312 yards of total offense. They only had 205 of those 312 after the fumble. Uh, on their next 205 yards on their next 12 possessions, three and a half yards a play. So you're yeah. basically, and Matt, you know this in the world of analytics, two yards less per play. It's like <laughs> that might bad. as well be two miles less yes, per play. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're dealing with a group like this, uh, a fragile, that's the only way you can call this offense right now with the. Uh, you know, the lack of depth on the offensive line, quarterback conundrum, no presence as a dynamic runner in the backfield. They're a fragile offense, so confidence is big with this group, especially with that offensive line. And you were gaining a little confidence. You start to find your groove, and then, like you said, you might have got a little too cute, all right? <laughs> Instead of yeah. running downhill, you start to go mm-hmm. east and west. And I remember that play, and I remember saying to myself, and, and this is weird, I, I'm probably overthinking this, that if if Chris Warren, let's say Chris Warren was – like what Deontay Foreman was at the beginning of last year where he was the perennial rusher. He was the number one guy, the go-to guy. I think he keeps that football. You know what I mean? I think he as just, Maybe, he makes yeah. a football decision by looking at the penetration, the disruption, and going, oh, hell, this ain't going to work. I'm going down. You know what I mean? Or yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it and run it. Um, instead of, I think he freaked out. And he's like, he went into a robotic mode. Instead of being players do that when they, they freak out, they quit maturity. being football players. They go into robotic mode. Oh, I, I this is a double reverse. I must pitch. This is a reverse. And it's like, no, what are you? The guy's in I your bet. face. Why would you want <laughs> right. to pitch that? That's not no. But coach told me I had to do this, or I would not see the field again, which has happened to him. Not yes. doing things coach wants him to do, and does see the field. So I think he reverts. And this is what happens to players. You make them almost too cautious. You take out that. That wild stallion of a football player out of them by, you know what I mean, being really inconsistent in the way you utilize them. Not, and I'm not saying that's what happened, yeah, but, but to me, that's what it looks like. I was like, man, what football player pitches that? The guy, if you just see the defender is right in his face. Sort of like sounds like, well, like that any, was wrong with the Texas defense yeah. and not going full 100% football player to make that, that pitch like runs with Armani it. was staggered to him like behind him. So oh, it's like he had to go over it's almost, a defender. It's, yeah, it's he almost, go, he yeah. dunked it over a defender. <laughs> what? It's almost like it'd be like me doing this. Go like go read Armani Foreman's body language on that play. It's like he thought there's no way he's pitching he's not, this. Yeah. That's a great point. He's it's like, already no, blown it's up. already blown up. It ain't happening. Yeah. He's just kind of waiting around. He's like, oh, crap. We got through the – so I think it's it, they're, they're playing really, really tight because they don't have any confidence now. They're not playing – so I agree with you on that point. What They were confident. They were rolling. Why'd you get too cute? It was simple. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and they're too fragile for you to do that to them right now. Rod, I, I, to your point about funk, and I wrote this on the site, I agree with you. I want to, uh, I was reminded about this quote this weekend. I just found it. Uh, back when Lane Kiffin was the head coach at Tennessee, Tennessee was getting ready to play Auburn mm-hmm. and talking about facing Gus Malzahn's offense. And this was Lane Kiffin. Monty Kiffin was his, his dad. Monty Kiffin was his defensive coordinator. Monty Kiffin was your DC yeah, he in Tampa, was, was he not? Yeah. And uh, this is Monty Kiffin describing Gus Malzahn's offense, that it's like trying to read a book with someone waving their hand in front of the book, trying to look at it, what's going on, but you can't really see it. You can't really <laughs> focus because there's so much misdirection, so much shifting motion. That's a great, great description. Damn, that's a good description. That's exactly right. Or I, got, a page. I got like five to eight to ten seconds before the snap to 
process. Everything I'm supposed to do, alignment, assignment, what my duty is. Uh, also, look at the play, look at the formation. That determines my specific responsibility within the coverage. I'm doing, man, I'm doing a lot. That's a lot going on. And, and then like, go. And I still might be talking some trash. Well, and all this is happening. You're absorbing until somebody yeah. else says go. And, dude, you just the slightest thing that, that happens out of – uh, kind of out of the norm or something I didn't expect. A shift by a running back, a shift to empty. And even a, I've seen this as simple as a shift out and then a shift back. A motion back and a motion right back to where he came from. You don't think it matters, but to those defenders, uh-huh. that safety, got look, he, he shifted over but didn't shift back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like he that, hedged. He that found his Yeah, it's, it, it's a little small thing. That linebacker shifted over, but didn't shift back. Oh, now it makes it easier for that guard to pick that linebacker. The, it's, and who knows what he's thinking, too. So, but it, they are. And it and goes back to something else, too. I don't think they're using everything at their everything at, at, at their disposal to fix this offense. Where was my Sam Ellinger package? Where True. was it? Why did I get not not one? I was expecting a Sam Ellinger. They package. left it over at Denius. What the hell? Where is that's like getting a oh, happy yeah, meal without it. a toy? I was expecting my Sam Ellinger package. I didn't get n- none of it. None of it. Yeah, I'm like that is well, sort of surprising. Why didn't I see him at all? So you just let all the moment momentum you gathered with the young man through USC and with San Jose State, you're just gonna let it die? Really? At least let him in there to see if. Oh, you know what? Hell, man, actually, that guy, he just got hot. He, he seems to get it. Whatever. Give the defense more to worry about. Your offense is terrible. Don't – are you going to redshirt him? Don't waste him. Play him. Give I'll him give, a package of plays. I will give Tom Herman and Tim Beck this. This is one positive no I can heard say. available. We found that out right. because this of the hand injury. One positive thing I can say about the offense. At least they haven't done pulled a Sean Watson and waved the white flag yet. At least they admit we're we're trying to fix it. We're working it. on it. We're on the we're on the we're late nights on this dry erase board going getting after it. And I you know and then you might need to pull a mushamp and smash that dry erase board and start over. But well, you know I got no problem as long as like I said I want them to use more weapons that they have at their disposal. Like I love they're using Tonil Carter now. You can see that I'm not I don't know if it's desperation. But they're starting to get to the point no, now. No, I, like, I do. I do like some of the some yeah. of the things we saw against Iowa State were changes for the better. That if you okay. build on them, can make this offense functional. The thing I worry about, Rod, watching that offense again with the long layoff between games, and that was the game plan, just kind of makes me think the ceiling for this team is probably maybe six wins, maybe seven. I don't see. I don't see them because tell me in this league how you're going to keep pace scoring seventeen points a game. Like I said. 2009 Nebraska is the only example I have. Yeah, that I don't. I don't see Indama Sue on that field. Though. <laughs> yeah, but I see a Malik Jefferson. You know what I mean? don't see Sue. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, Jared Crick too. Trust Malik me, Malik ain't winning the Heisman. What's the, what's the linebacker they had that was a safety? That Levante, Levante David. Yeah, I trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Amukamara. They had, they had Prince Amukamara too. Trust me, I'm with. Uh, is it Dewan Gross was on there too? Yep. No, Dewan Gross is back in your day. Is it back in my day? Okay. <laughs> I thought it was another player they had, too. Oh, uh, there was name. a name like that, though. There was another guy that was yeah. kind of like that, right? Okay, anyway. Um, but I digress. My point being, it can happen. If the Texas defense continues to trend to be this type of dominant, it can. I agree. Duncan Sue was one of the once-in-a-lifetime generational-type transcendent defensive players. Uh, but Malik Jefferson is an NFL guy who most people are projecting could be a first-round pick. You need that type of you know play. And right now, the linebacking core is playing at a really, really high level. And there are two members of that secondary that are playing close to an all-conference to an all-American level. 
you know, I think with the accumulation of talent, you might not be as dominant as that D-line Wilson Donald King Sue, but you can get a defensive unit that keeps you in every game and gives you a right. chance in every game. That's how defense is playing right now. With that offense, though, I, hell, even that Sean Watson Nebraska offense is probably better right now than this offense is. I'm not sure, but maybe it was. It's a Sean Watson offense. Of course this offense is better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. By definition. Sean Watson's going to run Watson into me on the street one day and kick me right in the tenders. No. For every but, bad thing I've ever said about. No, Sean, Sean, Sean Watson deserves all of the, the criticism he got because he was really stubborn. He just would not change at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's like normally D before something means it's bad, but the D Sean Watson would be the good example Just of Sean Watson the, <laughs> the opposite. You were using him to exhibit the most said we need Sean Watson. I, don't wanna, yeah, I, I just heard that. So I was like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Deshaun Watson, good. Sean Watson, bad. <laughs> In the state of Texas? Yeah. Yes. Deshaun. Yeah, make sure you yeah. put the D it's at the It's the bizarro world. Deshaun. D is good in this. Yes. Watson, yeah. We Deshaun'd Watson. <laughs> I guess whatever, like, Will Muschamp is our spirit animal here on the podcast. I, well, I don't know what Sean Watson would be like. Oh, man. Yeah, like, Sean Watson. Very, they're on, ominous figures. <laughs> I wish South Carolina would have done their job against A&M. It cost me a pick. Oh, oh we all missed right. that one. Yeah. We all missed that one. A&M's becoming randomly a second-half team after the collapse. I was talking UCLA. to somebody today. Like, dude, they're probably – because as bad as LSU is now, as bad as Mississippi True. State looks, as bad as Ole Miss is – Right, A&M could end up winning eight games in the regular season. That's a great point, Dan. Yeah, what do you're you going to fire, fire Kevin Sumlin at eight and four? Yeah, no, if they, if they go win nine LSU games. LSU paid Troy nine hundred fifty thousand dollars to get beat. No, actually, I think it was more. I think it was like nine hundred eighty-five. Yeah, it was like it a million. Nine hundred eighty. Yeah, it was like. Five, hey, Matt, I don't know if you. I know we're running short. out of time, but I don't know if you can find a YouTube clip. If you guys realize, I'm sure you have how much Ed Orgeron sounds like Farmer Fran from oh, Waterboy. Ed Orgeron's <laughs> hilarious. Yes, he does. He I got, mean, that's halfway why they hired him. He's got a twelve million dollar buyout his first year. Yeah. Yes, I don't. LSU fans are like getting rid of. Like, whoa, we all agree Ed probably need to go, but yeah. man, I don't know if they're gonna pay that cost. And who are you gonna get other than Chip Kelly? You know, I. I got in the wrong business. I should have gotten a business degree and just went ahead and been an agent because you, you know what I heard Brett Bielema's buyout is? What is it? It's like fifteen million <laughs> that they owe His him. His coaches are it's awesome. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I'm mad at myself. That's like Cliff Kingsbury probably been fired at Tech last year. They couldn't afford to fire. Couldn't him. afford to fire. How about that? Hell, Texas can't afford to fire people. Texas still paying like three coaches. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it all depends on how bad you want. Like I say, divorce divorce is worth, they say divorce is worth every penny, right? And divorce is very, very expensive. Yeah. Well, you want a new coach? Hey, man, it's uh, it's going to be expensive, but it's probably Jeez. worth it for you if you LSU. Oh, man. Well, um, let's talk real quick about Texas and K-State. Um, we've kind of mentioned K-State throughout the uh, throughout the show. Rod, it's one of your favorite weeks of the year, man, because you get to talk about the Purple Kryptonite and the Purple Wizard and the fact that you're one of the few Texas teams, part of one of the few Doesn't Texas teams often. that's won in Manhattan. Don't happen often. Um, but Texas admittedly has played K-State much better in Austin than in Manhattan. This is true. Won the last two meetings, one in 2013, one in 2015. And... This game, uh, it all comes down to, Rod, one of our favorite stats that we talk about and, and the real test for this defense, as good as this defense is playing, can Texas slow down Jesse Ertz? And I know that sounds like something like, we can slow down Jesse Ertz like he's fast. No, Amen. but Jesse Ertz is, is in that Colin Klein mold of he's yeah. basically a tailback playing quarterback. And, and K-State uses those guys really well. 
Always have. I'm interested to talk to to players in Todd Orlando this week to find out when you're facing an offense that all of a sudden runs, you're seeing 22 personnel and you're seeing fullbacks. How much does that change your scout team looks? Can can you get a good scout look point, against those kind of personnel packages? That's because not a lot of people carry excess tight number of tight ends and fullbacks anymore. Um, I do think this K-State offensive line, it's one of the better offensive lines in the country that nobody really talks about. When you've got guys like France and Resner as your offensive mm-hmm. tackles, two really good bookend tackles. Rob, maybe the best best pair of bookend tackles in the country nobody talks about. Like but it's K State. Nobody K-State. ever nobody ever talks about K State, period. Um, we know defensively with Will Geary up front, they they've got linebackers that are your typical K State linebackers. Said, yeah, exactly. They've yeah. got opportunistic safeties who are very smart, smart. very That's high exactly football what like you, you guys. It's your typical K-State team. So knowing all that, Rod, it's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a low-scoring game. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wrote on my post-game column after the Iowa State game was, that's how Texas is going to have to win ball games With this offense not being a dynamic offense, Texas is going to have to win low-scoring, ugly ball games where you're counting on your defense and field position to carry the day. And the field position argument is interesting because, Matt, you brought it up earlier talking about Tom Herman having to look at punt returner this week. Do you go with Amani Foreman? Do you go with Reggie Hemphill maps? I don't know what they can do. We talk about the offensive issues. I don't know what they can do to improve their kickoff return because God, it was awful every year Charlie was here. It's yeah. awful this year. I don't know if it's they can't find a return guy, if they just can't block it the right way, but Texas continues to be habitually awful at trying to get field position on kick returns. I know. The Longhorn special teams is, I mean, really it's feast or famine. It just, it's it's like mm-hmm. the two-faced villain, the Batman. I mean, it gets, it's ugly one moment, then it's really good because, you know, Michael Dixon, you know, Michael Dixon may be the best offensive weapon that Texas has. Yeah. Period. I know it, it sounds crazy, but I think he had 328 yards punting versus Iowa State, including a, what, 17-yard shank. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Texas' total offense had 321 total yards. You, I mean, you got to, and you, I remember you saying earlier this year, you got to use that guy because now the identity of this team and how they're going to win football games, field position and hidden yardage, huge, like huge. Like you can't afford to, you know, give up short fields and things of that nature. So I agree with you. And that, that goes to punt returns and kickoff returns too. They got to figure out something because Texas is going to, they, they can win the defensive matchup every week, but they got to find some way to win the special teams matchup too because offensively they stand no chance this, of winning that This matchup podcast could be longer than the game on Saturday because <laughs> both these teams, honestly, they run, they're gonna honestly, run. Case, this is K-State style. This is how K-State wins football games. Hidden yardage, field position. Muck it up. Muck it up them. until you, yeah. you know what it up. That, that's how Texas is going to have to win ball games. Penalties are going to be huge in this game. Texas is, uh, you know, they've been very uh, undisciplined at times with penalties, especially in the second half of the Iowa State game. That's going to be big. I think the game's going to come down to one factor. I'll be watching. If if Jesse Ertz is having a really good game, because um, I think he, he's the leading passer, he's the leading rusher for that team, you brought up the stats, um, and uh, and we actually made sure that we clarified it uh, and uh, and when did the research on it right before the show. Texas versus quarterbacks who lead their team in passing and are first or second on their team in rushing in the Charlie Strong era. All right, Texas is four and eight. Right? Did we come over there? It was a four and eight in the four Charlie eight. Strong era. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they they have struggled versus quarterbacks who have that type of ability to be a dual threat guy enough to lead their team in passing and rushing. 
Uh, remember, Tyrell Pigron from Maryland and Kasim Hill, they don't really fit that definition because both of them are hurt now. They're on their third-string quarterback, but they still have that type of athleticism at the quarterback position. Pigron was averaging almost six yards a carry. So was Jesse Ertz uh, in that game. So that's how Maryland beat Texas. That was a big part of how they beat Texas was that those guys being able to improvise and extend plays that is what concerns me is that when this defense, when they have every play defended, as Matt broke, Matt broke it down for you, when the play essentially deteriorates, there's another play that happens, and that's Jesse Ertz being able to come rally back to the football, be able to tackle him for a loss so he doesn't keep moving the chains, and to watch him uh, extending plays so he can connect with wide receivers downfield. That's what concerns me. And I know this defense has been a different defense since that Maryland game, but, man, no matter who you're talking about, even going back to Mac Brown's days, uh, the last days in 2013, Texas is 4-10 going back to 2013 versus quarterbacks who lead their team in passing, finished first and second on the team in rushing. Texas has struggled versus these types of quarterbacks. Everybody does. This is why mm-hmm. on the flip side, Texas fans want to see Sam Ellinger, that type of quarterback, present similar problems to opposing defense. I just want to see a Texas quarterback be behind center and not be very concerned for their well-being, which I was with Shane Bouchelle many yeah. times on Thursday night because uh, we don't have time to get into it now because uh, we've got a hard out today. But um, I'll write about it on the site. Man, as long as that offensive line is just in shambles, it really limits what you can do. But they're going to take another look at personnel. You yeah. know, I asked, tried to ask Tom Herman about the offensive line after the game and got a three-word answer. So you knew he wasn't happy with that group after the game, and he yep. expounded on it on the Big 12 call on Monday and in his press conference. Said the offensive line played kind of timid. They need to get Denzel Lokofer in there more. Hey, we can talk about schemes, but we got to be able to block a three-man front. I mean, yeah. just simple stuff that just didn't go so well for that group. So many issues on offense right now, man. So many. And so- it- this week is a perfect situation where you look at, and I was laughing when I thought about it this way while Herman was talking, and we were talking about how he's still he's admitting that there's layers that he's learning on the job, and we're saying Texas, this whole show's about not having an identity on offense, and you're facing up against literally the total opposite of the ultimate experience. Right. That dude knows what he does. He's going to have the best pieces to yeah. fit what he does, and we got a guy learning on the job now. He could end up being one of the best of all time, but right now it's just a perfect dichotomy between the two total opposite of what one another is and where they're at in their career hey before we get to picks can i share a quick story with you guys just kind of take some personal time here on the show my wife wanted me to bring this up because i was cracking up as she was telling me about (laughs) it so uh my wife as you guys know i brought this up she coaches she works at a private school she has she has to coach a lot of sports she's a middle school tennis coach varsity tennis coach uh she also coaches middle school volleyball her a team is awesome they've won their district championship to it the last three years, and they haven't lost a game yet this year. So their their A team is really good. Yeah, but man, her B team is mm-hmm. something else. And I just I, I just want B-team. you guys to okay, just imagine middle school girls B team volleyball. That's awesome, That's brutal. She said they were in a game. I guess this was a couple weeks ago now, and it's the third game, and it's you know you got to win by two, so yeah. it's fourteen, fifteen, 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 oh, no. sixteen. <laughs> mm. <And> Nobody. <laughs> she said that one of the girls. <laughs> Taps her on the shoulder and said, "Hey, is do do, do I go in right now?" Hmm. And my wife said she probably had smoke coming out of her ears and go, "Go sit down." 
Uh, man, that could only be with a great B, SNL yeah, skit, like just B, envisioning yeah, the story. B-team middle school volleyball. And keep in mind, my yes. wife's pregnant right oh, now, and man. she's like, why am I short with people right now? I said, well, I said, you're normally a blunt person, but the fact that you're pregnant is going to heighten that this a little bit. This is a hormonal bit. thing, yeah. yeah. And she said she well, there was one that same that same game earlier in the game. They're they're down. She calls a timeout. And then she's telling me this. I'm just cracking up, and she's telling me this. I got one girl over here looking off of the stage. She's like, I've got one girl in the huddle making bird calls. I'm like, <laughs> why was she making bird calls? She doesn't know. Oh, there you go. See, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it'd be hard. I'm too competitive, and your wife probably said she's probably way too competitive to deal with. She loves children. B team middle school volleyball. She loves oh, yeah. loves her A team. Exactly. Loves her A team. They're, they're all like, yeah, they they're, they're all pre- like driven and they're pretty tested. low maintenance. You know. Yeah. Oh man. But that B team. Man, I love I love them when I'm when my wife's coaching night. She's only got an A team game. She's like, I've got a game on Thursday. I'm like, it's B team game. She's like, no, it's just A team one. Man, <laughs> not gonna have Jeff a good was story. Looking forward to not story gonna time. have a good story when you I go get home. see your wife coach. Um, no, actually, this is another interesting story. So every time I go see her teams play, she loses. So last oh. year, last year they hadn't lost a game all year, right? They get to the district championship, the finals of the district tournament, and it's best two out of three. They lose the first game. She kicked me out of the gym, Ron. <laughs> Sent me awesome. home. Yes. Ultimate superstition. Sent me home. Man, That's agree, that yo. competition of home. I, right feel, there. I feel on that, man. You got to go. You're a bad omen. So I was in San Marcos. I went down to Hayes County Barbecue and got me a turkey sandwich. And nice. she called me. And then y'all won. She called me. Uh, she was like, yeah, we won the last two. There you go. Boom. See, it is you. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I started, we launched Torrance 24-7 in 2010, so maybe I'm just bad luck for this football program. I don't know. Uh, oh, well, that's Longhorn Network's got that in common, too, so I don't think it's shit. Good point, sir. All right. Um, hey, the other good thing about having Chip and Taylor over now as part of the Horns247.com team is you get Dan Neal's column on Sunday. Oh, nice. Dan, oh, yeah. Dan does his thoughts. Dan so. does good work, man. Yes. Dan's the man. Dan's very, uh, very opinionated, Rod, as you know, being around Dan uh, About a lot of things. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, about everything. All right. Talk some social hey, issues. Hey, Rod, before we get to picks and we close this out, what's your schedule like for this weekend with the uh, everything you're doing with the Horn and everything you got post-game, pre-game, oh, yeah, whatever? Uh, of course, the game is a uh, late game, correct? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Yep. So, yeah, I'll be doing pregame over uh, off, I think it's like 18th and San Jacinto. Yep, right, over right, over right over by Schultz's. Right over by Schultz's. In fact, Schultz's. Go so, to Schultz's. Yeah, go to Schultz's for the pregame. So, it starts three hours before the game. <laughs> start around 3 p.m. Then I'll be, of course, doing the postgame. My man Kevin Dunn. Um, as well, so you want to tune into the horn for the uh, post game yeah. as well. Uh, one oh uh, four point nine FM if you're in Austin on a horn at horn FM app. If you're uh, if you're right. not at ATX, hey Rod, that's with you, uh, you Lyle and Casey, right at Schultz's. With yeah, you know yeah, it actually is pretty good because those guys, man, they got no filter. They hmm. they're, they're dropping bombs. They're hitting drop button. I mean, they got man, all kinds of I was listening. To you, to I listened to you guys. The, I listened to the first two home games. When I was on my way in for the San Jose State game, it sounded like Casey was about four or five beers in already. No, they drink like on oh, stage. Oh, I know. Wow, like they no, they're endorsing Bud Light, so they're drinking mm-hmm. on stage. And I was always thought like you don't drink at all while you're on the radio. Nope. They are unfiltered and off. Who's the gonna chain. go tell Casey Stuttered he can't drink? Exactly. It reminds yeah. me of that Area 21 <laughs> when they go to KG and he has a cuss button. Yeah, and you dude. know him and his yeah. Those guys, those guys are great though because they they're, they're good people. It's, all right. uh, it's really good football knowledge. So yeah. make sure you go by and say hi to Rod Beer Schultz. Before kickoff, if you're around uh, around that area, Matt, how do we do on picks last week? Uh, we only had one different one, and Rod and I gained a game on you because Michigan State yeah. beat Iowa. 
Talking Why are we picking Big Ten games anyway? Man, I'm only picking the ones that are single-digit like point spreads, so it isn't just absurd. So like that you got to pick Big Big Ten games because they're so awful. Uh, well, look, no Big Ten games on my list Thank today, you. so that's yeah. lucky. I don't watch. I would say out of all the Power Five conferences, I probably watch the least Big Ten football. Me too. Obviously. Why would you watch it? And that's a good point. Unless it's Ohio State or Michigan, why would you watch the Big Ten? Exactly. I noticed though the one one game with uh, less of over under than Texas Kansas State is Wisconsin. Nebraska. That's Big Ten football. Oh, Just disgusting Nebraska. football. Oh, Wisconsin's going to kill Nebraska. All right, but we can get to our picks. First one, SMU-Houston. Who do you got? Uh, this game is going to be in H-Town, correct? Yes. Dude, SMU looks pretty good right now. Um, uh, Probably no Ed Oliver for U of H, so oh, wow. give me SMU. That's big. That's what I'm, I'm leaning SMU in give this Give me thing, SMU. Man. Give me I ponies. will go with Houston, going with our boy Major. All right, next one, Louisville at NC State. Who you got? Louisville. Yeah, give me a little. Lamar Jackson's actually passing the football much better. And we all know he's probably the best running quarterback. Yeah, all of country. us there. Louisville, less than a Rod, did you take favorite, SMU though. or U of H? SMU. You took SMU? Yeah, okay. Yeah, when it gets, we went Dallas over H-Town. All right, moving on oh, to uh, Miami or Florida State. Florida State is terrible. Why is their yeah. offensive line so bad? I don't <laughs> know. How did the offensive line get that bad? It's terrible. I, I'm, man, I might have to go. You said Miami? I'm going Miami. We've been talking about Manny Diaz so much on this show today. Stacy Searles is down there. Coach Banda, who was a GA at Texas, is coaching the safeties Baby. down at the U. Oh. Give me, give me Miami. You know I love Tim Brewster with Florida State, but I got to pick against my man Brew this time. Man, I'm going Miami also, a field goal favorite. But next game going to be one. We were talking about Ed O earlier. Got to go to the swamp. Take on Florida. Who you got? Give me, give me Florida. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not touching LSU with a 10-foot pole Three right and now. a half point line. Yeah, I mean, I I expect a bounce back in LSU, just but I think it's going to be tough. I, I think Arizona's run that offense is it's always pretty suspect for LSU, but that, <laughs> even more so now Arizona's run at the helm. I'll go. Jim McIl- yeah. Jim McIlwain doesn't get enough credit as much with the suspensions they've had and injuries. Yeah, and him for them to still be kind of. That's a good point. <laughs> Yes, That's thank you for that. that. Wasn't him. <laughs> the, yes, it wasn't him. I'm sorry. It looked just like him. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Yes, all right. So, uh, last game going to be on the Texas-Kansas State. Oh, you know, I, my, like, I want to pick K-State, but there's something inside me that's telling me to pick Texas. So I'm going to go with Texas winning this game 16-13. to it's gonna be a K State cover. I'll take K. I'll take a K State cover all day, every day. It's gonna be an ugly game. I yeah, lines down to only three and a half. Texas now it had opened up at five and a half. So moving in K State's favor. Man, this is tough, man. I ain't gonna lie. This I is, think we'll take Texas by a field goal. I'm gonna. I like that. I gotta think about something that I really like about both these teams. And if you look at every unit uh, and position, I think Texas defense is kind of the one thing that stands out from both of these teams as at an elite traits or an elite part of that team. So I'll bet on the Texas defense pretty much, but that means I agree with you it's going to be a really low-scoring game. So I'll go with 20 to ooh, 20 to 16. Yeah, nasty game. I'm Ugly ex- game. I'm expecting it to be almost a game where you could see as many touchdowns from the defenses than the offenses. Like a non-offensive score. Both ways could end up being that way. And I think we're thinking along the same lines with the score. But, yeah, I'll take Texas to win 24 to 23. Man, that's an ugly football being played in the Big 12 these days. (laughs) 
All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at 1049thehornhornfm.com, our new home, and you can get this podcast each and every week on SoundCloud, iTunes, and any podcast app. Isn't that right, Matt? Yep, just Google Longhorn Blitz. If you don't got us, if not, you'll find us in those apps. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.